Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hello and welcome to LawPod. My name is Peter and in today's episode I'm here as part of our series learning more about the life and career of Queen's Law School faculty members. This episode will follow on from our episode earlier in the year when the head of school, Dr. Joan Lockery, spoke to the podcast about her journey. Our next guest is Dr. Andrew Godden, a lecturer and researcher who himself attended Queen's, excelling academically at undergraduate, postgraduate and PhD level before joining the faculty in 2019. However, such a description fails to paint the whole picture of what has been a fascinating journey. In order to paint that picture, he joins us today. Andrew, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. So, as mentioned, we're here to paint a more complete picture of your academic journey and your interest in law. Logically, we should begin with your upbringing. So, you were born and raised in the Shankill Road area of Belfast. Tell me a bit about that. That's right, yes. I was born and, and raised in the Shankill, yes. I spent all my childhood, some of my teenage years there, and then moved on when I was about 14 to where I live now. So, I've spent more of my life off the shankle than I did when I was there, but that's where I spent my formative years. It was like everybody's childhood, and you know, I look back with rose tinted glasses. There were challenges, obviously. This was this was during the troubles when the troubles were still ongoing. I was there when the shankle bomb went went off. I was almost caught in it in it myself. So I always remember that. And various other things that went on that were troubles related. But beyond that it was a just a normal enough normal enough childhood. I look back, you know, fondly on it. Very Northern Ireland answer there, I think, just is, apart yes. from all the crazy violence, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so what was your experience of school like? Well, I had a decent time at, at school, put it that way. I had many, many good teachers and I had some teachers who were not so good and that became more of an issue later on, really. But in, um, I should just say, really, overall, the education, educational experience where I grew up was, you know, quite standard. There wasn't much of, a, of an emphasis on really pushing yourself to excel and trying to perform to the best of your ability. There was certainly no emphasis on further education or higher education. That was just never on the agenda, really, whenever I was growing up. My parents always always encouraged me and pushed me, but the schools never really did. And you know, there, there were times when I was at school, you would have certain teachers who would have actively discouraged you from you know, performing to the best of your ability for you know, various reasons. And really that became, as I say, more of an issue and became more of an issue in secondary school. There was one particular teacher in secondary school who made life difficult for me in the end, put it that way. This was quite a well-known teacher. I think we've all had certain teachers that we have certain run-ins with, and I certainly had one. And it was really because of that teacher that I I left, finishing my GCSEs, but I was there to do my A-levels. I was thinking of going to university, you know, in a general way, but I left unexpectedly because of that. Yeah, and as a former teacher myself, it's it's a tough one to hear. It is. I mean, it's like any profession. You get you know great great people that work in it. You get people who who really don't have much of a passion for the for the role. They're, they're only really there because maybe their parents did it or something like that. But it's not really their passion, and they should never have really set foot in a classroom. So I've had certain experiences like that. But I should say overall, I mean, I did have some you know some great teachers when I was growing up as well. Yeah. So you've kind of alluded to it, but you then leave school at seventeen, is it? That's right, yeah. 
And so then how long is it before you enter academia? It was about, let me think, it was about three years, just over three years roughly. I didn't really know what to do, to be honest, because as I say, I was thinking vaguely of going to university at that stage, but it was never anything I really thought that much about. Nobody in my family had been, no, none of my friends had been, even like the wider family, nobody had been or anything like that. So I spent a few years just bouncing really from different things, you know, trying different jobs. I found it very difficult to even get a job because I didn't have that many qualifications at that stage. And this was really in the teeth of the of the credit crisis and the, the recession at that stage. So it was just difficult for everybody to get a job at that stage, let alone a 17-year-old without any trade or connections or qualifications or anything. So it was, wasn't was the most productive time. So I ended up working in the cinema on the Dublin Road, which is no longer here. That was just a wee part-time job to keep me going for a while. So that was that was what I did. And then I decided from, you know, at some stage I wanted to do something with my life. I was about 20 at that stage. So I decided it was time to, you know, actually give something a go. So then you came into contact around that age with two charities, the Princess Trust and EGSA. That's right, EGSA, yeah. So how did that interaction come about? Did you proactively seek them out? Yes, I was actually, uh, I was actually thinking of opening a, a small business at that stage, actually. So I was on different different business courses and so on. And the next one to go on was the, the Princess Trust business course. So that was my first kind of interaction with, with them was around the idea of, of starting up a business, really. And then I went in, I, you know, you have to, show them your plans and things like that. But I went in to have a meeting with one of their advisors and the meeting just kind of tailed off, just went off the business idea towards education. And it was quite unexpected for me. I basically shut the door to education at that stage. But it was felt by the advisor that I had something there. There was some kind of spark that she must have seen in me, which I didn't see. And also, as I say, it was it was in the teeth of the of the recession. It would have been very difficult to start a business anyway. So that was the really the outcome of the of the meeting. I went in thinking about business and I came out booked in to EGSA. So that was the educational guidance service for adults and they, they Princess Trust passed me on to them. So I went to them and they specialize in, you know, getting adults back into education and different forms of employment. So I went there and had a discussion with them and they told me about all the different options for further education, which my school never told me about. So it was always, you do your GCSEs, you do your A-levels, you go to university, if you're lucky enough to get in. But there are many different types of further education qualifications, which I wasn't aware of at that stage. And so they appraised me of the different options that were available. And one of those was an access course from Queen's, which would have enabled me to do my A-levels in one year rather than two or three. So quite an intensive year. But if you get your results, then you can go into university quicker. So at that stage, I was, as I say, 20 going on 21. So I was thinking it was you know, a decent option for me to get in. If I did go to university, I wouldn't have been too old at that stage then. And so at this stage, you haven't started thinking about the law yet? No, not really, no. The law came up at that meeting with the EGSA advisor. I just explained the different things that I was interested in. I was always interested in English, you know, politics, history, you know, subjects in the humanities more or less. But I didn't, I didn't want to go to university to study a subject that I felt would potentially lead to employment problems down the line so I didn't I didn't want to do just a typical English degree for example because I wouldn't have known what to do with that after so we started talking about well you know law is a very um English intensive course there's a lot of politics involved social studies history even so why not think about law and then you know we got talking and I realized that it was a very versatile subject you know you can you can um 
if you get a law degree, you can go into so many different areas, you know, in, in terms of employment. So I thought that was just really the best the best option for me was to was to think about law. Interesting that it was initially kind of a practical interest then. It was, but yeah. Yet, as we now say, you're now a lecturer and a researcher. There must be some kind of passion for it now. Do you can you map out kind of how that developed or anything? Well, yeah, I mean, I wish I could give some real, you know, real motivational reason as to why I chose law. But that that was really the the reason for me was really for the employment prospects that it would give or that it would bring. That said, I mean, I always liked to argue when I was growing up. So that's something that my parents and my siblings often used to, you know, make fun of me over because I always did like to you know, argue with people and argue my point and so on. And people always said you'd make a great lawyer. So that was always there as like a, more or less a joke in, in my family. But when we started talking and with the with the educational advisor, the interest kind of really sparked from there. You know, as I said, I realized it was, you know, there's there's just so much involved in, in a lot of ways. As I said, there's a lot of history, there's a lot of politics, there's lots of English, logic, communication, all of the things that I was interested in. So academically, it was from, from that point on, it was always a, of an interest for me. Obviously, as time went on, I became very interested in it. But that was all I knew really at that stage. So we mentioned then you go on to complete your A-levels and then an undergraduate law degree at Queen's and then an LLM. Yeah. So after your LLM, you're then offered a place on a research degree at Oxford University. And I can imagine as the first in your family to go to university, it, there must have been a temptation there. It's arguably the most prestigious education institute in the world. What was the thought process there? I did quite well at undergrad level. I did better than I thought I was going, going to do. So I did well there and I did well at master's level as well. You know, got a good scholarship and things like that. So I was on a, you know, a good track in terms of you know, my educational performance and where that, where that could take me. So you know, I saw all the entrance requirements for Oxford and I thought, well, I might as well give this a go and see if it works. And you know, to my shock, I came back and says, you know, you've, you've got a place and my supervisor would have been the, the actual, the head of the Criminology Institute at Oxford. So it was, it was a great opportunity to get. So yeah, I mean, it was, like you say, the first person in the family to go to university. Oxford would have been a very, very, wouldn't have been a prospect at all really at that stage. So, so it was something that I had to think about. But at that stage, Queen's gave me an offer as well to study for a PhD. And at that stage, I already knew who the supervisor, who my supervisor would be, Professor John Morrison. He had taught me at undergraduate level as well as at master's level. So I already had a good relationship with him. And it was in a subject that was very, very much in my area. It was very, very interesting to me. And it just seemed like the best, the best offer at the time. But it was certainly tempting, yeah, to think about going across. Interesting. Okay. And then another kind of fork in the road question, I guess, would be, the fact that you joined Queen's Law Faculty in 2019. Yeah. And of course, that was, as mentioned, as a lecturer and a researcher. We've mentioned already your interest in law stemmed from an employability kind of perspective. Was there ever, or perhaps how long was that temptation there also? The idea that a lot of people do law degrees because they say it's a particularly lucrative career. Mm -hmm. Was that ever a thought in your head? That's right. I mean, I have to admit, yes, it was certainly there at the beginning, whenever it was doing my levels and the access course. There were a few of us on that course and we were all thinking, you know, it would be great to become, you know, some high-flying barrister or solicitor or something like that. And that was kind of my thought process as I went in to my undergraduate degree. I thought about becoming a barrister. And then as time went on, I just started becoming more and more interested in the academic side of things, academic debates, particularly around constitutional law and things of that nature. And the door opened basically to 
to go and do a master's. And as I say, the scholarship was there. I got the James McQuitty Law Scholarship, which was excellent. That Without that, I couldn't have done my master's. So that was there. The door was opened and doors to other avenues kind of closed. So by the end of my third year at undergrad, I kind of knew I was going to go down the academic route. And then once I got the scholarship and did my master's, that was really the route for me. Something that's interesting as well, I guess, about even the conversation we're having is the relatively unique nature of your journey to a certain extent. And I guess we can pay testament to that by your involvement in the Pathway Opportunities Program during your PhD. So what was your experience with them like and what kind of yeah. things mm-hmm. you get up to? I was involved in lots of different widening participation initiatives when I was doing my PhD and then obviously now in, in the role that I'm doing. But I've, I've been involved with the Pathway Program since it started. I was one of the first tutors that was on that program. So obviously it's it's the most prestigious widening participation program that we have at Queen's and there are you know, different pathway streams that you can go down. Law is one of them. So myself and a small team had responsibility for, for delivering the, the law pathway to secondary school students, A-level students from backgrounds or areas where there wasn't a high uptake really of, of university places. There wasn't a lot of people applying for them and so on. Um, and I did that for three years and I'm still actually, I'm over, overseeing the pathway program now, the law pathway as an academic. So I'm actually in charge of it now, but that was really the best experience for me at, at PhD level, because you got to, you got to teach, you got to do a bit of management, you got to work with the students and you really did feel like you were given something back because obviously these are students for whom university would not necessarily be a realistic, a realistic pro, uh, prospect for them, although they're very academically gifted. It's just not something that they would necessarily think of. So it's a, it's a great program. We've had a lot of success through the program. Many, many students have come through across the different streams and a good lot of actually come into the, the law school as well. So for me, that was the best experience. You know, the academic stuff, the PhD stuff was great, but really working with the, working with the students was my first foray really into the academic, the role of an academic, actually teaching designing programs for them, marking their work, assessing them and so on. That's when I kind of really realised then at that stage this was the road for me was was to go down the academic route and become a lecturer in it. And then interesting, you've mentioned how that work developed to the current day with what you're involved in. What other kind of programs and initiatives are there now available at Queen's in terms of widening participation? There's actually, you know, the Queen's, I have to say, is very much at the cutting edge of widening participation debates and has many, many different programs that are going on, as I say, across the whole university. Obviously, there's the Senior Academy, the Queen's Senior Academy, which I also taught on before the Pathway Programme, and that provides one-to-one support for A-level students who aspire to come to university. So I, I taught A-level law through that programme, so that's one. There's the Pathway, the Law Pathway. Obviously, there's the Street Law Project, which is another project that aims to reach out to people and explain the law to people and help them understand their rights and how the, how, the, how the law functions and so on. So that's another one. I'm just working on working on different initiatives with, with different organisations outside Queen's who want to work with the law school to help our students by giving them additional support and so on. So there's, there's quite a lot of things that are going on at the moment. And that's something that has really gathered pace since I joined the law school, which is, which is great to see. As I say, widening participation wasn't necessarily something that was widely known whenever I was coming through. I was a widening participation student, but there were very few widening participation students on the programs that I studied on. But that's something, thankfully, that's that's changed as time time has gone on. The student body has become a lot more diverse. 
more and more students are coming through who wouldn't normally have have come through. They wouldn't normally have considered law. So clearly, something is is happening, and it's 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 a good thing. And just as one final question, then, what advice would you give to any prospective widening participation law students out there? My advice would be to don't underestimate yourself and don't think just because you come from a particular area or a particular family or you've had some kind of you know, family history of non-attendance at university or because you didn't go to you know, an outstanding school or anything like that, don't think that you're closed out of this particular profession. I should say, again, that the Law School at Queen's is very welcome and it certainly was to me. And as I say, we'll have a very good reputation of attracting students from you know, from underrepresented backgrounds, under, underrepresented groups to come through and study, which is great to see. But also the wider profession, I should say, is also very, very welcoming of people from, as I say, underrepresented backgrounds as well. I know the Law Society is doing a lot in this area to attract more people into the solicitor's profession. And the, I know people at the bar as well that are very interested in this agenda too. So, I mean, the wider profession is is very welcoming. Some people see it as as quite a yeah, an elite profession. And they would see the they would see a legal education as being the preserve of the elites, but it really isn't, and it, it shouldn't be that way because obviously we need to have a judiciary, a judicial branch that is reflective of the society that it seeks to serve. It's just like the police service as well, and you can't you can't have that if all of the senior judiciary and the senior judges and so on all come from the exact same backgrounds because they're going to just think the exact same way. There won't be you know, a, a plurality of perspectives on important issues. So that's why widening participation is very important in its own right, but particularly when it comes to law, because if you don't have a representative law school, you're not going to have a representative profession or judicial branch. So that's why it's very important to me. But as I say, the law school is very welcoming. The profession is very welcoming. So that would be the first thing I would say is, you know, don't be put off by perceptions because in my, in my experience, the you know, perceptions that I had were all wrong. I thought the profession would have been very cold and uh, very intimidating. It certainly wasn't, not at all. And then just also explore the different options that are out there. You know, you don't have to do your A-level straight away. You can go off and do something else. Come back to an access course, do something else. There are many different programs at Queen's and also Ulster as well where you can get experience of what it's like to study at university, get some experience of the subject as well. And, you know, hopefully that'll you know, pique your interest there in the subject. And then just, just work hard and just try your best. And if it's meant for you, it's meant for you and you'll get there. An important point to cap off a really interesting conversation. Dr. Godden, thank you very much for joining us today on LawPod. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 